Uh, open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to launch into a new mini-series. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll look at verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Hear now the words of the Lord. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God... Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is God's Word. Amen? Amen. A number of years ago, I had the privilege of, and I've talked about this before, going on a trip to Honduras. And it was a fantastic trip, but it's crazy what you can see in one place. So we went to Tegucigalpa, and one of the places we went in Honduras was this city dump. We walked in the city dump, and I, I, I will never forget the stench of raw garbage mixed with exhaust from huge garbage trucks coming in and dumping off fresh loads from the city. I, I'll never forget the, the mounds and mounds of garbage all along this dump. I'll never forget the vultures hanging out all over these mounds and mounds of garbage. I'll never forget this sight. And yet, did you know that there are people who actually live in the dump in Tegucigalpa? I'll never forget watching a mom feed her little baby wrapped around her shoulders. I'll, I'll never forget seeing whole families living there in the dump. And you could see their homes made out of cardboard. I'll never for, forget this sight. Yet, just a stone's throw away, it took us a couple hours, we jumped on a bus, and we began to go up a mountain. We went up this mountain in Honduras, and when the bus could go no further, we got out on foot, some people jumped on horses, and we began to make this journey, this ascent to the top of the mountain. And y'all, when we got there... I'm a city boy. This was a sight that I had never seen before in my life. In my mind, I always thought of mountains as being rocky and like the Rocky Mountains in Colorado, snow-capped mountains. But when we got up to the top of this mountain, 
It was a lush green kind of mountain. I mean, it was beautiful. It, I never inhaled air this clean before. The skies were crisp. The sun was beaming down on us. The, the clouds were even more defined. This was a beautiful sight. I mean, I could see mountains and trees as far as my eyes could see. I had never seen anything like this before. But yet, I was just in the city dump just hours before. How in the world could we be in such different places just a stone's throw away from one another? We were in the city dump just hours before and all of a sudden we would ascend to the beauty of a mountaintop. I'm here to tell you this morning, that's exactly what we're going to see in our passage. We're going to see the valley of brokenness and sin. And yet Paul will allow us to ascend to the mountaintop of the beauty of grace. It's crazy. We're going to get a picture of two many different scenes. We're going to investigate three ideas this morning. We'll look at what the church is saved from. We'll look at what the church is saved by. And we'll look at, lastly, what the church is saved for. But before we go to work, will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time, even so far. Thank you that you are a good God. Thank you that it is well with our souls if our faith is in you. So, Father, we pray that you would be present with us during this time. Would you open our ears? Would you open our eyes to see and hear all that you would want to do and say. Father, move me to the side. May you preach with my mouth. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, we don't need the words of a mere man. We need your words. So would you speak to us? We need to experience you this morning. Your people need to experience you. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to spend some time talking about the church over the next several weeks. And the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, it's, it's a good starting place for us to look. Uh, what you need to know about Ephesus is that it's pretty much the religious center of all of Asia. There are over 250,000 people that live in Ephesus, which would be an enormous amount of people at that time. At that time, there were literally seven wonders of the world, and one of those wonders was in the city of Ephesus. It was the temple of Diana or the temple of Artemis. This temple attracted people from all over the place. Next to the temple was a stadium in antiquity. 25,000 people could fit in this stadium. It was enormous. Ephesus was a booming metropolis. It was filled with idol worship. People would come to worship Diana or Artemis in Ephesus. Paul went to Ephesus and he began to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Paul actually saw people come to saving faith in Ephesus. And the business folks in Ephesus, they were, they were upset. They were angry because people weren't buying their books of pagan worship anymore. And people weren't buying those little handmade uh, idols anymore. And their businesses began to suffer. They were upset. Look at Acts 19, 23 through 28 with me. Listen to this. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way or Christianity. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but also in all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into a disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing." And that she may even be deposed for her magnificence. She whom all Asia and the world worship. See, Paul went into the city and he began to share the good news of Jesus. And people actually believed and their lives were changed. Listen to me. That's the point of the church. That we would go into cities and that you and I would make the city better, not from ourselves, but with the good news of the gospel. That we would go in and that the church would see change. This is the mission and the work of the church. The church is not some building made of bricks and mortar. The church is the people of God. The church is made of, up of real people. The church is the people of God on mission for the good of the city and the fame of Jesus' name. So to better understand this, we've got to see what the church is saved from. Look at verses 1 through 3 with me. Put your eyes on the Bible. Hear, hear this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, Paul says, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Did you get that? Paul says, dead in the trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. We lived in the passions of our flesh and we carried out the deeds of the body and mind and were by nature, Paul says, children of wrath. This is the condition that Paul is laying out before us. It's almost as if Paul smashes all of Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 in these first few verses of Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, you were messed up. Paul says, you were broke down. There was no hope in the world for you. You are saturated with sin. Every part of you had been stained with sin. Paul is pointing to the complete depravity of man. Paul says, you are broken. He is laying clearly before us 
all of mankind's condition, and he's laying clearly before us the church's condition. This is some heavy stuff. Because nobody gets out of it in what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, all of us have suffered from this brokenness. Every part of us is stained with sin. Paul says, you were dead. Paul didn't say that you were on your way to being dead. He, he didn't say that you were possibly going to die. Paul said, you were dead. Not even, not even about to take your last breath. Paul says you had no breath in your body. Your lungs were deflated. You were dead in your trespasses and your sin. This is heavy stuff. Paul is pointing to the reality that there was no desire in us for God. None whatsoever. And I, I know, I know there's a lot of great songs out there these days about how we found Jesus and how we're chasing after Jesus. And what this tells us is that you and I were not chasing after Jesus and you and I were not looking to find Him. We were dead. We were dead under the weight of our trespasses and our sin. We were broke, busted, and disgusted. We had no hope in the world. We were broken down. We were in trouble. Paul shows us clearly the weight of our sin. We were dead in our guilt and in our evil nature. Theologian John Stott says this. He says, We should not hesitate to reaffirm that a life without God, however physically fit and mentally alert the person may be, is a living death. And that those who live it are dead even while they are living. This is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about a living death. And the reality of our sin and the reality of our shame, the reality of our guilt weighing down upon us so much so that we could do nothing about it. We had no hope in and of ourselves. This is Paul's message to us. That life without God is death. Paul says, we followed the way of this world as opposed to God's way. We followed the influence of the one who is controlling the world as opposed to God's influence. Paul lays out the condition of mankind, including the church's condition. And I would hope that you and I would never forget this condition. Because if we, if we forget this condition we will begin to not extend this kind of grace that was lavished upon us to others. We need to remember this condition because God has sent us into His harvest based on the reality that we can do nothing in and of ourselves. we got to remember this condition. This is the picture of the church. Just because we come to church on Sunday mornings and we may go to a Bible study here and there does not exempt us from this condition. This was us. We were there. We did not desire God. There was no longing for Him like the songs that we just sang. We were broke down, busted, and disgusted. We were under the weight of our own sin. We've had... 
two greats live, uh, not necessarily live in the city of Memphis, but one of them lived in the city of Memphis, but at least passed through the city of Memphis. Dr. King and Elvis Presley. We, we literally have people from all over the world to come and to the National Civil Rights Museum and to visit there. People from all over the world go to Whitehaven to go to Elvis' home. They, they want to be inspired. They, they want to learn of the stories of, of these men who had great talents. Dr. King was an orator. He, he could preach the birds out of the trees. And Elvis, he was was one of the best to ever do rock and roll. People from all over the world, they want to come and they want to hear their stories. They want to be inspired. But yet, if you go to Elvis' home, you'll be able to see his grave. Elvis, Elvis is dead. And if you were if you were to go to Atlanta, if you were to go where the remains of Dr. King are, if you were to go and visit uh, his old home there, you, you would realize that that Dr. King is he's dead. There are no more speeches. There are no more sermons. There are no more songs to be sang. They they are for sure dead. They're dead. And what Paul is saying is the music has stopped. There are no more sermons or speeches to be preached because you and I were for show dead in our trespasses. There, there was no way for you and I to get out of it. Our condition was death. We were under our trespasses and under our sin. Our condition was brokenness. There was no way to get out of it. It was death. I'm so glad the story doesn't stop there. I am so grateful that the story doesn't stop there. Because we also need to see what the church is saved by. Look at verse 4. Paul says, but. One of the best words in all of Scripture. We, we just experienced the weight of our condition in, in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And then Paul says, but. Paul says there has been a change. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you and I have been saved. The idea behind being saved is to be rescued. The idea is to be kept from harm. It's to be brought out safely. That's what grace did. Grace rescued us. Grace brought us out safely. Grace kept us from harm. Grace rescued us. That's what grace did. Paul says, God is wealthy in compassion and pity. He has a ton of it. God is wealthy in mercy and grace. How are we saved? Paul emphatically, he points to grace. 
that even while we were in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive in Christ Jesus. How are we rescued? How are we delivered? How are we set free? It was unmerited favor that saved us. It was grace. Theologian R. Kent Hughes says this of grace. He says, Grace is the love of God going toward the utterly undeserving. It is undeserved. It is unearned favor. That's grace. Grace is the love and sacrifice of Jesus colliding with our sin and coming away the victor. Grace collided with our brokenness and our sin. And it won. That's grace. In and of ourselves, you and I could do nothing to fix ourselves. We could do nothing to save ourselves. We could do nothing to rescue ourselves. And Paul says, God did this on purpose. God set it up so that we could not save ourselves. So we couldn't give the glory to ourselves. But the glory would go to Christ Jesus. We can't save ourselves. We can't rescue ourselves. We can't deliver ourselves. Grace is like one of those gifts that you get just because. You ever had one of those? It, it's one of those gifts that you get just because. Wives or, or girlfriends, it's, it's those flowers just because. You know, you ever got a gift just because? Somebody gives you a gift just because and you're like, oh, me? Why? Why? You know? Oh my God, you, you shouldn't have. On the inside, you're thinking, thank you. But you, you, you shouldn't have. And, and you did nothing for it. You, you did nothing to get this gift. You were given this gift just because. That's grace. God lavished His grace and His mercy upon us. He pulled us out of the pit of darkness and sin. And He thrusted us into His marvelous light. That's grace. He did it just because He could. Just because He loved us. And just because He wanted to receive the glory and not us. Jesus presented Himself as grace. He stood in our place for our sin. He took upon Himself the weight of our sin and He exchanged to us His righteousness. That's grace. Nothing that we deserved in and of ourselves. He is the mercy of God to us when we were dead in our trespasses. It's like the old song says, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side. Where would we be if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side? Where would we be? I got to tell you this morning that I know where I would be. I'd be headed to hell. If it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, where would you be? Do you just think of the goodness of Jesus and all that He's done for you? Your soul ought to cry out, Thank God for saving me. If it had not been for the Lord who who was on our side. He, He saved us. He called us out of 
darkness. He saved us. For over a hundred years, there's been something called an executive clemency. The President of the United States is the only one who has this ability. Applicants who are federal prisoners, they literally apply to the President of the United States that they may be pardoned for, for their mishaps. And it doesn't matter if you are a bank robber. It doesn't matter if you are a murderer. It doesn't matter if you've been accused of some kind of drug violation. You can apply to the President of the United States to be pardoned. And if the President of the United States decides to pardon you, you are free from that crime. You, you are free from paying the debt that you ought to pay. And this is what Paul points us to. Paul says, if you want to be pardoned, believe in Jesus Christ. Paul says, you were broke down, busted, and disgusted. You had no hope. You were dead in your trespasses. It was like you were at the bottom of a lake. Water had filled your lungs. You were dead. And Jesus, but God, swooped down. He picked you up. He revived you. He put air in your lungs. And He gave you new life. But God who is rich in mercy. He is wealthy in compassion and pity for those that He loves. But God, He revived us. He saved us. He set us free. He pulled us out of darkness and thrusted us into His marvelous light. He pardoned us. Even when we did not deserve it. This is what Paul wants to show us this morning. Paul tells the church, don't forget where you came from and don't forget the work that Jesus has done. He has brought you out of darkness and He has redeemed and saved you. Paul shows us what the church is saved from, what the church is saved by, and lastly, what the church is saved for. Look at verse 10 with me. This is one of my favorite parts. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, get this, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is a beautiful verse. Paul says, we are the poem of God, that we are God's work of art, that the church is God's masterpiece. That, that God has created us and fashioned us as His work of art. We are His workmanship. That we were created, get this, for good works. That we should walk in them. Jesus did not just save us for ourselves. Jesus did not just call us out of darkness that we may live selfish lives, but He called us out of darkness for good works. That we would live out our faith in our cities. I love what 1 Peter 2, 9-10 says. Look at this with me. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim, get this, the 
excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, the the story started very dark. The story started very grim. But God, who is rich in mercy, who has lavished His grace and His mercy upon us, not a work that so that we should boast, but that He may get the glory. And He did all of this for good works, that we would walk in them. What would it look like if the church could get this message? What would it look like if we could get this message in our neighborhoods? What would it look like if we could get this message on our jobs that we would tell of the excellencies of Jesus Christ in our city? That Memphis would know of the excellencies of Jesus Christ. That that Memphis would know of the good works that God has called us to display and to show. This is Paul's message Paul shows us that he wants the kingdom of heaven in Memphis just as it is in heaven. He he wants to use the church to send them out for good works. God wants to use you and I. The church is not just some bricks and mortar. And I love what Paul does. He shows us the valley and yet he shows us the mountaintop of grace. And Paul says, I'm not going to stop there, but I'm going to send you out that you may be my witnesses of Jesus Christ to share of the excellencies of Jesus Christ. And that you and I may display the good works of Jesus Christ. That He has called us out of darkness and thrusted us into His marvelous light. Are you sharing that news? Are you walking in that good news? Are you sharing it? It reminds me um, of this, this the, the, the fashion shows. There was somebody that uh, came to to our office uh, the other day and they said, man, this is a great location. Um, We would love to do a fashion show here. And there are a bunch of young creatives, early 20s, and uh, it's crazy, this idea of a fashion show. It's a designer putting his work on display. A designer who has thought through how he wanted this dress or how he wanted this suit to look or this blouse, how he wanted it all to come together. A designer is the mastermind of the fashion show. He thinks through it. She puts it all together in her mind. Then she puts it down on paper and all of a sudden the sewing machine is going and there are models who are walking it out and they they model it on the runway. They, They model the ideas, get this, of the designer. And this is what Paul is calling us to here in the passage. He says, Church of Ephesus, you have been redeemed, you have been saved, you have been rescued, you have been set free, and you all of this have been, has been done that you may do good works in your city. 
that you may tell of the excellencies of Jesus Christ, that you may show them how Jesus has delivered you and brought you out. This is the mission of the church. Here's a news flash for you. Jesus did not just save you for you. He saved you. He delivered you. He rescued you. He called you out of darkness that you may go and tell others of His excellencies. That you may live it out before them. That same forgiveness, that same mercy that was lavished upon you, that you may give it away, give it away, and give it away to others. He shows us the valley. And He shows us the mountaintop. And he tells us, go do it. Go live. Go on mission. This is not something that you should hold in your heart. But this is something that you ought to walk out. That you and I ought to live out. This is the church. We were saved from darkness and death. We are saved by grace and mercy of Jesus. And we are saved for good work in our city and beyond. This is the church. Downtown church, can we get that? That we would go out in Memphis, Tennessee and live this out. This is the hope for our church. That if you are to move off your block today or tomorrow, the people around you would know the difference. That if you were to leave your job today or tomorrow, the people that worked around you would know the difference. This is the church. The church is much more than bricks and mortar. The church is to tell of the excellencies of Jesus Christ. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you just do business with God before we close this morning? Would you talk to Him? Would you you commune to Him? Would you thank Him for this grace that has been lavished upon us? Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus. Lord God, we thank you that you've called the church to be your witnesses in your cities. Lord, you called the church of Ephesus and you are calling the church of Memphis, Tennessee. Lord, what's everybody's responsibility is nobody's responsibility. So I pray that we would individually take the responsibility. That it is our job to live this good news out. For our neighbors, before our co-workers, that we may tell of the excellencies of Jesus Christ. 
And Father, through this same grace, you have called us to yourself. And so, Lord, if we have not put our faith in you, thank you that you are calling us. And you've given us the freedom to say yes to you. So we say yes. We say yes to you this morning, God. Yes to your will. Yes to your way. Yes to your offered mercy and grace. We say yes. And Lord, as the ushers come, we thank you for these tithes and these offerings that we're about to receive. Lord, thank you that all that we have belongs to you and we get the privilege of returning some back to you. Lord, I pray for our church that you would use these tithes and use these offerings that your excellencies would be proclaimed boldly in Memphis, Tennessee. That your excellencies would be proclaimed boldly in West Memphis, in Midtown, in South Junction, in, in Binghamton, in East Memphis, in Germantown, all over this city. That we would proclaim your excellencies. And through downtown church, Lord, we would go to the nations. That we would be the church, not just in this city, but also in the nations, God. Because you've called us to the uttermost parts of the earth. So, Lord, use these gifts. That they would be beneficial for raising up leaders, for being a part of gospel-centered, multi-ethnic church plants. For more staff to further the mission of downtown church. And for continued support of the staff that we do have. Thank you for how you are at work. In Jesus' name, amen.